because we're going to finish up Matthew today, we're in the last four verses, <laughs> after 76 lessons, 76 weeks, we've come to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, so that makes me feel good, but it also makes me a little sad that we don't have a few more chapters of Matthew to focus in on, a little more of what could have been written maybe, I'll have to take that up with Matthew one day. <laughs> <laughs> but again, this is Lesson 76, and today we're really at the end of Matthew. We still have two chapters of parables that we're going to look at during the festivals. We kind of skipped over them because they uh, teach on the end of days, which we'll be looking at during the festivals. But we're going to be looking at Matthew 28 today and the Great Commission, the last four verses of the book. So let's just begin by reading it. Then Yeshua came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am always with you till the end of the age. So I want to start by just getting a few things straight right off the bat. First, Many will want to tell you and discount this phrase, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, as being added to Matthew's gospel later by the church. Many of them do this because they do, often they don't believe the, of the oneness, this mystery that we've talked about of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this is, they say this has been added by the church. Well, let me just say this. It just ain't so. Every early reliable manuscript includes the exact same phrase, and it's doubtful. Think about it. If it is doubtful that if it were added later by the church that every early manuscript would be changed in the same way, and there would be no remnant of what was original. There are some translations that you're going to find that omit this phrase. They, uh, one of them is the Shem Tov Matthew Hebrew Gospel that Nehemiah Gordon and Michael Rood tout as authoritative. That leaves this phrase out. But you have to understand something about the Math, uh, Shem Tov Gospel, and that is that it's a 14th century translation from the Greek. They actually took a Greek text and, transla and translated it back into the Hebrew. And it was done by an Orthodox rabbi. So it can't be very reliable if it leaves it out because all the Greek manuscripts contain it. So the point being is this, is you can't change the word of God to fit your own imaginations. You take it for what it is. This is the word of God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's complete. And there's nothing added. The point being, like I said, if every early manuscript is the same, then we have to take it as the gospel. Now, we've spoken about immersion before. It says, go baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we've spoken about baptism uh, many times, so I'm not going to go into it today, but I just want to give you the short of it so that if you're visiting, you understand a little bit. The short of it is that it signifies, according to Paul, and everything we know about, Rome, uh, about immersion, 
in the first century that it symbolizes a change in status. Shaul tells us in Romans that those who are immersed are immersed into the death of Messiah. That they've died to their former self and as they rise up out of the water they are a new creature in Messiah ready to live a new life for Messiah. That's Romans. In other words, we're born again. As we come up out of that water, we're a clean slate. Just like a newborn child ready to learn to live lives, new lives in the kingdom of God. A change of status. Former heathen to one living for God, a disciple of Yeshua the Messiah. Second, and this is going to be a blow for those who don't believe in the deity of Messiah. It says, baptizing them in the name of, and I want you to know that the word name there is singular. It doesn't say names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're one. There's no difference. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the name is singular, it's saying that the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the same. Could it be possible that this would be rendered that way in normal grammar? Yes, it could. But when you read the prophets where Yeshua is spoken of as yud heh vav there's no doubt in my mind what exactly is meant here. Third, we must note that Yeshua is sending them to teach the nations. Remember, he sent them out to teach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In chapter 10, we read, and I'll read it again, five verses 5 through 7. These 12 Yeshua sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. So in Matthew chapter 28 now, he's sending his disciples and also future disciples because this command is to all disciples and I'm going to show you and prove that to you in a moment. He's sending them not just to the lost sheep of the house of Israel but to all the nations. Now the message for Israel was repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, turn back to God. Stop sinning and turn back to God. We could say stop violating God's Torah and turn back to God. Repent because they had had the Torah, but they had drifted away from the commands of God. And so Yeshua is telling them, turn back, repent. To the nations, he says, Teach them to obey all that I have commanded. In other words, teach them to obey God's law. They needed to be taught because they never had it in the first place. Fourth, it says, we'll send, we'll spend, and we're going to spend a good deal of time here. He says, make disciples. And the closest word we have to that is students. Teaching them to obey what I have commanded. You see, if you baptize them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as they come out of the water, they're born again, ready to live a new life. They're a new creature. So the next thing you have to come to grips with is what kind of a new life are they going to live? 
Well, they're to live by all the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teach. Because what Yeshua teaches, and the Father teaches, and the Holy Spirit will continue to teach as you walk through life, is the same, just as their name is the same. They're one. They rule God's kingdom together. So let's begin with this, go make disciples of all nations. And the first thing that strikes you about the passage is it's not directed solely at the 12 disciples of Yeshua. We know that for a fact because the disciples didn't go to all the nations. In fact, they couldn't have gone to all the nations. And when we couple it with the last phrase, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, we can see that it would be impossible. So the command of Yeshua is given with the intent of it being a command to the entire Kehillat, Right up to the end of the age, which is approaching very fast. We are to make disciples of the nations. And that's not hard to accept. I think we can all see that. But what's really hard for me to accept is our response to this command. It's not a call to find as many people as you can find to say, I believe in Jesus. And then say the sinner's prayer. And then they're forever saved. It is a call to teach the nations to be disciples of the one we've been studying for the last two years in the book of Matthew, Yeshua. If the church had fulfilled this call, I would have never had to start Sar Shalom because the entire church would be walking as Yeshua walked. And I say that because as we've taught many times before, the call of a disciple of Yeshua was to live, teach, and worship as Yeshua lived, taught, and worshipped. It's not a call to teach men to be disciples of the Catholic Church, of the Baptist Church, of the Pentecostal Church, but to make disciples of Yeshua. Now, the other thing that we've spoken of many times is discipleships, and we've spoke of it and taught of it even within the context of the Matthew series in the last year or so. But let me just give you a quick reminder. In the short of it, when Yeshua says, make disciples of all nations, the word disciple has an entirely different meaning than what the church has given it. If we, are to look, if we were to look at the church today, and compare what it has done with the call to make many disciples, then we would have to assume that the word meant go evangelize. Hand out tracts on the street corners and get people to say the sinner's prayer and then get people to come and join your church. That is not what the word means. A disciple was one who learned everything the rabbi did. Every teaching word for word, every prayer word for word, everything he did. And in the time of Yeshua, because they lived and traveled with their rabbi, they learned the way he lived right down to the way he dressed and walked through life. You can see it today. If you look at the Jewish people of today, rabbinic schools turn out copies of their rebbe right down to the type, color, and the way they wear their clothes. Whole communities of Jewish people are this way. If you go to Israel and you, and, and you stand in Me'sha'arim, you're going to notice that everyone dresses and looks the same, and there's a reason. They're disciples. 
Well, that's what Yeshua is saying. He's saying, go make disciples of this, of me, followers of me, of the nations. And so if we were doing what we were, sh- were supposed to be doing, we would all look like Yeshua, speaking the words of Yeshua, saying the prayers he said, praying the way he prayed, worshiping the Father as he worshiped the Father. And then he says, teach them to obey what I have commanded. Did you get that? All that I, I, I have commanded. Not what Peter commands, not even what Shaul commands, but what I command you. And Shaul knew that. That's why he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 13. He says, is Messiah divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? We're not disciples of Shaul. And Shaul's letters do not trump the words of Yeshua or the Father's words. Because their words are like their name. They're one. One word. One kingdom of heaven. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But we just spent, think about it, we just spent the last two years going through the words and the teachings of Yeshua recorded by Matthew. And that is what we and the original 12 and everyone in between us were to be teaching the nations. And that's not all. When he says, all that I have commanded you, and combine that with baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, with the name being singular, doesn't that mean all that all of them have taught? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit command? Well, it does to me. Listen, Yeshua is not instituting a baptismal formula here. Say, if you're going to be baptized, you better say you're immersed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or it doesn't count. He's not even saying that you must say Yahweh, Yeshua, and the Ruach HaKodesh, or it doesn't count. Or any other set words. He's saying them, immerse them into the name, into the community of God. A new life in the kingdom, living by the teachings of my Father, my teachings, and the teachings that you will continue to receive from the Holy Spirit because there's no difference. We are one and our name is one. You know, we sing a song every week. At the end of the service, Bayom ha-hu, bayom ha-hu, it means on that day the Lord will be one and his name one. And it comes from a very messianic book called Zechariah, chapter 14 and verse 9, that says. The Lord shall be king over all the earth, and in that day there will be one Lord and his name one. There shall be one Lord and his name one. Now let's look at the Targum Yonatan, because I want to see, I want to look back and see what they thought of this text in the first century. And we get that by the way they translated it, because they took a little liberty. So it says this, And the kingdom of the Lord shall be revealed upon 
all the inhabitants of the earth. At that time, they shall serve before the Lord with one accord. His name established in the world. There is none apart from him. I mean, you read that. Now, that's pretty good commentary on that verse, right? You don't need any more commentary. And it's exactly what Yeshua is saying. He's saying to his disciples, go out and make disciples of the nations, teaching them to be in one accord. And the one accord that you are to teach them is the accord my father gave me and the one I've been teaching you. And the Spirit will continue to teach you. Did the disciples get it? Well, we only have to go to Acts chapter 42 and verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and the many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as he had need, and everyone continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. They got it. And once you come to grips with the fact that the disciples were to teach what Yeshua taught, and that was what the Father taught, and what the Holy Spirit continued to teach, to witness to these men. Then the next thing you need to come to grips with is what I said earlier. He is sending them to the nations. He tells Israel to repent, to turn back to the ways of God in chapter 10 because they had the Torah and they'd wandered away from its commands. Now he tells the disciples, teach the nations the ways of God because they never had them. He does it so that we will be one and God's name will be one. We'll be one on the earth. It will be one on the earth as it is in heaven. Not so that there will be Jews and non-Jews living differently, but so that there'll be one Israel, both Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, man and woman, living in harmony together. In one accord. So let me just say something. If you've spent your life teaching your disciples the teachings of the church, Catholic, Baptist, or Messianic, you've wasted your time and the time of those you were teaching. If you spent your life focused on uh, as many of the church on the words of Shaul as he, had, as he addressed problems in Corinth and Thessalonica and Galatians and you took those words out of their context to the rest of the Bible, you've wasted your time. And the time of those you taught. Because I can tell you, if you do not live as Yeshua lived, if you do not worship as he worshipped, as you don't pray as he prayed, then you are not a disciple of Yeshua. You may believe that he came and died for your sins. You may confess it with your mouth. And therefore you are saved. You may walk in the power of God. You might be a mighty man of God. But don't ever say you're a disciple of Yeshua as you work on the Sabbath day. Because Yeshua went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Read Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Don't say you're a disciple of Yeshua and not keep the festivals of the Lord because Yeshua kept the festivals of the Lord. And don't say you're a disciple of Yeshua and teach that the Torah has been done away with, that it's been abolished because Yeshua taught differently. 
A disciple of Yeshua will stand on these words. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the Torah until everything is accomplished and anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Don't say you're a disciple of Yeshua as you eat your ham sandwich, your shrimp, and your lobster because Yeshua didn't eat those things. <laughs> Understand me. You've confessed with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believed in your heart that he was raised from the dead and you are saved. But to be a disciple of Yeshua, you have to do a whole lot more than that. You have to study the words of the book. You have to live the words of the book through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Another thing, if you're not a disciple and you don't worship on Shabbat as Yeshua, don't keep the festival Sabbath as Yeshua, eat ham sandwiches and say things like, I'm not perfect, I'm just a sinner saved and continue on in your sin. Well, I can tell you that whoever taught you all that stuff failed in the Great Commission. And if you're out teaching it, you're doomed to fail in the Great Commission as well. And that's where the church is today. They failed in varying degrees, some moderately, some pitifully. You see, we fail because we go out and hand out a tract to a person to get, get them to say the sinner's prayer, and then we try to get them to come to church and we're successful, and then we begin to teach them, and then we fail. That's where we fail. Because Yeshua said, teach them to obey what I have commanded you. He tells us his words are the Father's words, and that not one jot or tittle shall by any means pass from the law until everything is accomplished. And so what is the first thing we teach them? Well, you don't have to keep the Shabbat because Yeshua rose from the dead on Sunday. Well, find that command in the Bible for me. And I'll go to church on Sunday. We teach the law has been abolished, even though, as we just read, Yeshua said, never will that happen until everything is accomplished, until heaven and earth have disappeared. Is heaven and earth still here? I'm standing on something. Amen? How can you say you're teaching them all that he commanded if that's what you're teaching. We then tell them, hey, we're having a fellowship dinner this week. Why don't you come? We're having a nice big ham. I mean, some of the churches tell them, hey, immersion is no longer immersion. We just sprinkle babies and that brings you into the church and you're set for life then. Yeshua said, immerse them. So how can you say you're teaching men to be followers of Yeshua? Show me where he says sprinkle your babies. The fact is, there's not much of what goes on in the church today that Yeshua would recognize. And so how can we say we're disciples of the Master? 
we, the kehilat of the master, have failed in the great commission. We've been great evangelists for the church. We've done great jobs at teaching our children the way we think they should go. Think about it. Catholics are steeped in Catholicism and remain Catholic all their lives, most of them. Lutherans in Lutherism and remain Lutheran. Baptists are steeped in Baptist. <laughs> Baptism. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but none of them look or worship as Yeshua. So how can we call them disciples? All of them teach no Torah, no Sabbath, no festivals. We teach Christmas and Easter. How are we disciples? Well, some say, well, you know, the Sabbath and the festivals and those kind of things, they're for the Jews and the Torah is for the Jews, but we're, we're, we're not Jewish. We're not bound by those things. Well, I didn't see that in the Great Commission. Did you see that in the Great Commission? It says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. To the Jew, he said, return to everything I've commanded you. It doesn't say teach them anything different than he taught Israel. To Israel, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. As I said earlier, repent means return to the commands of God, quint transgressing his commands. To the nations, he tells them, teach them all I've commanded. Well, he commanded us to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. We don't have listed here one set of commands for the Jews and one for the non-Jew, but the Torah says there shall be one Torah for all. Both native, listen to what Numbers said. 15, verse 16. One law, one manner shall be for you and for the stranger that sojourns among you. Then in verse 27 of the same chapter it says, But if just one person sins unintentionally, he must bring a year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest is to make atonement before the Lord for the one who erred by sinning unintentionally. And when atonement has been made for him, he will be forgiven. One and the same law applies to everyone who sins unintentionally, whether native-born Israelite or alien. Neither, you know, there's a teaching out now, it's called the divine invitation. How many have heard of that? The divine invitation. It's a teaching that's uh, promoted by FFOZ. There's no divine invitation here, as some teach. I do not see a divine invitation here. Yeshua does not say, therefore, go and invite those from the nations to be disciples. And if they want, invite them to baptize themselves in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I command. That is, if they want to. Because this is my divine invitation. Here, I printed these divine invitations. I'm hoping you will obey me after you call me Lord. Listen, the divine invitation happens when you accept Yeshua's salvation. After that, it's no invitation. It's are you going to continue to walk in sin 
Or are you going to walk through this life as Messiah walked through life who was free of sin and died so that you could walk through life free of sin? Folks, it's time that we wake up. Look at what has happened because we haven't made disciples. You see, it's a slippery slope. It's a real slippery slope. Because we haven't made disciples of Yeshua, much of the church is filled with sexual immorality. Impurity, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, reveling, and the like. And to all of those things, Shaul said, I warn you as I did before, those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, it's a slippery slope. That's why you see churches in varying degrees down the slide. Some are at the bottom and some are a little closer to the top. Do you see what we've done by not making disciples of Yeshua? Listen, listen to what 1 John says, chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen or known him. Do you see what we've done by not making disciples of Yeshua? We've gone into the streets. We've handed out tracts. We've convinced people to say the sinner's prayer. Confess Yeshua. And then we've taken them back to our churches and taught them to be sinners all over again. Proving that we, nor they, ever knew him. Because we continued in our sin. And let me say, John is not writing to Jews here. Common sense tells you that. He wouldn't have to define what sin is to a Jew. A Jew knew. So Gentiles say, so to the Gentiles, John says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. We could write it this one, this way. Everyone who violates Torah, in fact, sin is Torahlessness. How can someone tell me Maybe someone can tell me, how on earth is it that we no longer have to pay attention to Torah? How is it that the law is no longer applies to us? And then tell me this, if we violate Torah, how are we disciples of the master? Because John tells us, no one who continues to violate Torah has either seen him or known him. If we don't know him, how can we be his disciple? And back to the divine invitation. How can there be a divine invitation to sin or not to sin? Does God invite people to sin? Listen, John answers our question if we just read a little farther. In verse 7 he says, Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he, Messiah, is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 
The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. He who does what is right, and carry that back to the previous verses above, because we've got to keep this in context. He who does not keep the commands of Torah does not know Messiah. He's not a child of God. He's not a disciple of Yeshua. And then he says, and he who does what is sinful, or again we could say he who does what violates Torah is of the devil. In other words, a disciple of the devil. And so he continues, he says, no one who is born of God will continue to transgress Torah because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. You see what he's saying? No one who is reborn, that's what happens when you're baptized, no one who is reborn of God can continue to transgress Torah. And then he says, this is how we know the children of God. That's how we know the children of God. They don't transgress Torah. This is how we know who the disciples are. A disciple of Messiah, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit does not continue to violate Torah. And those who are not disciples of Yeshua, those who continue to violate Torah, are of another spirit, the lawless one. Divine invitation to keep Torah, it's impossible. Because as Shaul says, you're not your own. You were bought for a price. Shaul tells the Romans this. In in verse 22 of chapter 6, he says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. The result is eternal life. The wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. Friends, We're supposed to be slaves to God. Is God a sinner? Does God promote sin? Does God promote transgression of Torah, in other words? You see, back to divine invitation, the divine invitation we received came when the Spirit tugged at our hearts, when we accepted Yeshua as Lord of our lives. But we are slaves There's no divine invitation to live according to what Yeshua commands because we are slaves. We should have become disciples of the Master. And it's time that the church repent and become disciples of the Master. And it's time for us to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything Yeshua has commanded. Amen?